Hi, I am Rochelle Boeta, and welcome to Deep Insights. In this Women's Month edition, our multimedia journalist, Klingiwe Motohum, speaks to the CEO of Exaro Resources, Dr. Nbasa Tsengwa, on her official appointment, strategies for women to navigate the workplace, and how the coal sector can foster environmental stewardship. Hello and welcome to Deep Insights on Mining Review Africa. My name is Sengiwe Motaung and it's a pleasure to be coming to you on Women's Month. My guest today was born in Fort Malan, also known as Edutra in Inchanchongo, as they say. That is in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa. She is the fifth of seven children. She completed her master's degree in plant physiology at the Eastern Illinois University in the USA. And she also holds a PhD in agronomy from the University of Maryland. From the lab to the mine, help me welcome the official CEO of one of South Africa's top coal producers, Exaro Resources, ladies and gentlemen, the fierce and phenomenal Dr. Nombasa Zengwa. Dr. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Ah, thank you, Slengiwe, also for that warm welcome and uh, you know introduction taking me back in time, but uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on your first week as Exara CEO. Before we get into the gist of things, I just want us to take a quick recap into your first week in office. How did you find it? Wow, it's been a quite a hectic week. Uh, also started with a big surprise mm -hmm. from uh, our employees uh, who decided uh, to state a surprise inaugural ceremony for me on Monday mm. and a day full of emotion and um, from everybody actually I was so pleasantly surprised to see most of our employees in tears welcoming me into this new role really sharing the time with me so it was a very interesting kickoff to the week and also a lot of interviews uh, in this week and uh, also a lot of interaction and activity um, with the stakeholders. I mean, it has been a particularly intense week uh, of all weeks, but yeah, but obviously uh, quite enjoyable, I must say. Must be fulfilling as well to know that, wow, I'm here now. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so Doc, we all know you from an executive stance. Let's take it back to your early days at Dukura and at St. John's College. What did your upbringing look like? Well, yo, those were quite interesting times, uh, which if I were to just take a snapshot of that time and the snapshot of today, it would be very difficult to make a connection. Uh, but I, uh, I grew up as a very you know, just normal, ignorant, humble rural girl. Um, uh, born in Fort Milan, as we've mentioned it, in Jachongo, is what we call it, in Sikosa. And really taking lead from my great parents, uh, who are both late today. So really, you know, just uh, being raised under your parents' guidance. Um, and uh, what was quite for me uh, important and I think was significant in sort of crafting my way had been my father. Mm -hmm. My late father 
you know, was such a disciplinarian, firstly, mm. and he happened to be a school principal of the Fort Malan Junior Secondary School, mm. where we went uh, as youngsters. And he went on and became a inspector of schools, and he went into the higher echelons in the Transkei government. So my dad was always driven by, you've got to be successful and focus on your scores and making the marking class. Um, and he was always pushing us to be in the top three. For him, that was the most important indicator that big things will happen to you. In terms of where you will end up, this, that was never something that we spent a lot of time in. We were always driven by make your mark, your scores, demonstrate, you know, your dedication and, um, you know, be seen to be a good child, you know, well-disciplined and following the rules. And, we, you know, my mom on the other side had been a gardener, mm. an avid gardener, and won competitions uh, in, uh, in, 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 his, in her vegetable gardening, always winning number one. Wow. And I followed my mom all the time when I had an opportunity, just watching what she was doing. And I really fell in love with the, you know, this life of, um, you know, gardening and growing plants, which when I look back and I say my love for plants and my choice and maybe my, you know, affinity towards biology, especially plant biology, plant physiology, had been driven by my understanding of that world, you know, which my, you know, which my mom introduced me um, into early in my years. So that balance between, you know, being disciplined, focus on making the mark and being driven um, in that way had been for probably, you know, if I were to to connect, you know, where everything else had started. Mm. Doc, it's interesting that uh, the environment in which you put your children in has a great impact in how they will turn out. I think I've read somewhere, I've, I've uh, heard somewhere where you said your mom had a patch for you in her garden where she gave you maize as well as um beans beans yes, yes. <laughs> i mean uh, it's just amazing that that fueled a love for 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 botany and and the science of plants yeah indeed mm. and for me you know when mom gave me the patch because she could see that i was always following her around and she said yeah. look you're gonna have your own, your own let's see yeah. what you can do <laughs> And why, and I mean, she chose this too, was such an, int an intriguing um, uh, thought now that I, I I look back and see how I watched these two different plants emerge out of the ground because I kept on waking every morning to see what's happening. I'm watering, nothing is coming. And whenever I saw little leaves and I always watch how are they coming out and when are they becoming taller than this so yeah. that I can also look serious in this in this whole thing. <laughs> and you know what was amazing was the difference that these two plants emerge through the ground mm. where the maize plant emerged through this two, uh, this sheath first and then it is split into two leaves and then it grows and it, it, it has another set of leaves coming out. Whereas the bean plant came out as a hook yeah. out of the ground eh? and still hiding its two, um, the two bee primary leaves still under the ground and then it takes up and then that uh, hook, you know, straightens up outside in response to what the sun was doing to it. So 
that was such an intriguing observation in my early life that uh, as you rightfully say you know tr- you know maybe triggered that scientist in me mm-hmm. yeah or that botanist in me for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's such an interesting story that you told there so now your father as a school principal he was a school principal and you said that later on he went on to being an inspector of schools and your two elder brothers also pursued a teaching career so it seems as though there was an expectation for you to also pursue a career in education. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you went on to 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 pursue a, a senior secondary teacher's diploma at UNITRA. But then there was a turning point. You went on to UWC for a, a BSc in botany. Tell us about that transition and your family's reaction, particularly your father. Yeah, look, um... A very interesting story, this one, and a story that defined my relationship with my father. And and my father got to know me better through this experience, in fact, where, in fact, it's, it's the other way around where, you know, my father being a traditional male from a deep trans guy those times, being raised by, um, you know, his own parents, my grandparents, who were not uh, educated. So the best of resources were always reserved for male children or boy children uh, because they were known to carry the family name. Um, And you as a girl, you will marry Mr. So-and-so and your name and yourself disappear and go and be a home builder of that family. So my father's view was that um, his boy children were the able ones uh, to do science. Um, So for him, they were to go and do the science degree and, you know, he would support them. You know, my brothers, you know, were the ones who were, you know, destined to be BSc holder or whatever else, science. But for us girls, dads will say, after standard 10, you go and do a teacher's diploma, you go and be a teacher somewhere, and hopefully you'll get married and you go and disappear, um, you know, as, as Mrs. So-and-so. And dad tried to enforce this with me. That uh, after I finished my secondary or standard 10 at St. John's, mm. and I got school leaving, by the way, it was not a, you know, a full certificate yeah. to take you to varsity. Mm. And my dad said, look, you either repeat or you are going to go to Titicha College, uh, which was just outside of Umtata, to do your teacher's course which was a three-year course. And then after that, we launch you into the job market in mm-hmm. teaching. And I made a decision. That's not what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. I was also going to do science. Okay. Uh, he thought that it's the boys who can do the science. I will also do science and I'm going to show him. And guess what? Um, my father was a well-known individual. He was a senior member of uh, the government in Transkei. And he was actually serving on the Senate uh, of the University of Transkei. And he always told us about Mr. So-and-so. We do this with Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so is this. So there I am looking for Mr. So-and-so, who was the dean of students. And I went to Mr. So-and-so and asked that I be granted permission to study 
what my father wanted me to study at the college, but I wanted to study at university, university. so that I get my foot in the university and prepare myself for um, finishing what he wanted me to do so that I can do what I wanted to do, which was a science degree. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. And the rest is history. So the guy calls my dad mm. and he says, but, you know, Mr. Tsengwa, your daughter is here and uh, we haven't heard anything from you. Uh, do you know that she's here asking for, uh, you know, um, admission at the university? Mm. And my father then said, look, I did not know. And he was really embarrassed and asked, and he asked whether I did have money to register at Varsity and said, she seems to be holding a check of 750 rands, which my mom gave me without my mom knowing. <laughs> so there I was with the 750 rands. So your mom vouched for you? Behind his back. That's and magical. Said, Go for it. Because mom had this business that he owned and um, so she could do this. So yes, the rest is history. So there I was. And my father says then the last, I'm going to tell you on this bit now. He says to me, because he was feeling so bad. Um, he says, uh, it's fine. Um, you can do this uh, teacher's diploma, which was a senior secondary teacher's diploma. And I was so excited because then I started taking, um, you know, those first year degree courses. Okay. You were supposed to go to second year with the majors or yeah. what they call what you'll be teaching. And then uh, he says, if you pass this and you do your first degree, I'll buy you a car. Yeah. And if you pass your, your science degree, yeah. I'll buy you a car. And Ooh. I said, you will buy, you better put money in the bank because <laughs> you're going to buy that I'll car. I'll take you up on that one. A long, long story short, uh, my brothers fall off the bus. They don't finish their degrees and I remain. Um, and uh, I got to finish my degree. And as fate would have it, dad doesn't have to buy the car because I then get a scholarship to go to America mm. to go and do my master's. So he was saved from buying that car. <laughs> but what I saw was a man who changed his mind about women and the role of women in society. And the role of women in the economy, because my father cried when I graduated my my degree, mm. because he said, "You've proved me wrong, my child." Wow. And I got to know you that you're so much like me that when you want something, you actually go and get it. Yeah. Mm. And and the fact that when I was doing my last year, one of my very brilliant brothers is late today. Very brilliant brothers decided. He's going back because he heard that I was doing my last year and I was going yeah. to graduate. Then he goes back and he finishes and we graduate on the same year. Funny wow. enough. Oh, no, he graduated the year after me. Um, mm. But he had vowed that, mm. you know, he also was now inspired uh, to go back and finish. So, yeah, my dad always told the story that never tell your children what they must become. Let them do what they believe is good for them. That is such a powerful story, Doc. Wow. <laughs> I myself am inspired about uh, uh, about the story that you've just told. One thing that stood out, though, is how your mom played a very big role in all of this behind the scenes quietly. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. As a woman, she really did vouch for you. And I think probably her knowing your character, she knew that you were going to make it. Absolutely. How does so that make she, you feel when you think about that today? It makes me feel very warm because I realize how both my parents played a very important role 
one, um, you know, mom giving me that staying power. He was she was a yeah. very powerful, bright person. In fact, she was more brilliant than dad. Dad yeah. was just a hard worker, mm. but mom was smart. Mom was a strategist, and um, okay. so I picked up a lot from mom because mom said, "Let him go. We'll give him money. You go. You call when we're in the office." So that is strategy, yeah. Ah. Um, and that thing that says, you know, believe in what you want to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, stay in it, persevere, mm-hmm. and you will succeed. Mm-hmm. Just look for that right support, which she was. Your dad is giving you the discipline to study, to understand, um, you know, what it takes, you know, to sure. get your marks mm-hmm. and be driven, but with the right support, which is mom, which is mm-hmm. me. You will get there. And she's been like that, mom, mm-hmm. from day one till the day she died. Mm-hmm. So you had a very good balance in your family. You had a very uh, a nurturing environment. And yes. at the same time, an environment that was disciplined and nurturing at the same time. Absolutely. That's that's just amazing. Absolutely. Now let's move on to the subject of women. It's Women's Month in South Africa, and we have just celebrated International Women in Mining Day. You joined Kumba Resources in 2003 at a time when the subject of diversity and inclusion was still fairly new. What are the differences um, in the workplace between then and now? Well, I think at that stage, the... The fact that the boardrooms did not have females was taken as a norm. Mm. Um, you know, people never bothered to even attempt to find out whether there were any women in this field who could, you know, participate um, in this field. And at that time, I think the law in South Africa was really beginning to take shape in terms of enforcing the targets for mining companies or just the corporate world in, in general. So we had, uh, you know, the DTI, uh, we had the Department of Labor, both of them are pushing the corporate environment to very specific targets. And there was always this excuse those days that, well, there are no black women or even women in general at that time. There are no women in even HR you know, a space where I knew there were lots of women um, in those areas, let alone in this hardcore mining subjects, um, such as mining engineering, uh, geology. There was just this belief uh, that what we were even talking about, firstly, was a nuisance, was unnecessary because you were asking us to go on a goose chase, we'll never find these women. And Today, uh, we have really changed the language. We notice when we don't have enough women in the boardroom. There are fewer people uh, who have got excuses and they're not expressing them as openly as they used to. So uh, people are a little bit more conscious uh, that this is an injustice and something has got to be done to the extent that we put programs like our professionals in training program at Exaro, that is is very deliberate about bringing women and which kind of women we want for which subject. So there is action today uh, and a a sort of, you know, an effort 
yeah. uh, to really correct the imbalances of what we've seen when I've joined this industry 19 years ago. So you are saying uh, that there is a more absorption of women in the industry, in the workforce as a, in general? Absolutely. We see, I'd say, uh, if I just look at the mining industry, I am very uh, encouraged by the number of mining engineers, which are yeah. female, and to be even more specific, black females. Yeah. Very encouraging. I am also encouraged to see the numbers grow at senior levels mm -hmm. to the extent that you will have three CEOs today that I can think of, even probably even the yeah. Royal of Fokeng one, maybe four mm -hmm. females that are sitting uh, as C, uh, you know, CEOs as you know in in listed companies, mm -hmm. and I'm very encouraged, and I know these individuals, especially mm -hmm. the three or the other two at least who are uh, Anglo American. Yeah. Um, that they are well meaning. They are women that are going to pull other women up. So I'm really hopeful um, mm -hmm. because for me, that is progress. I don't want to be on the naysayer side to say, yes, we see the numbers are growing, but you still want more. Yes, we do. Mm. For me, it's about what does Numbasa do? Okay. What does Mpumi Zigalala do, who is the CEO of Kumba, uh, in terms of pulling other women. Mm. What does Natasha Pilyun, uh, who is the CEO of Anglo Platz, mm. you know, are we being seen and doing the right things to make sure that we are building a solid base for women to grow from? Mm. Because whether we like it or not, the numbers are not on our side. Mm. And therefore, we cannot dream that tomorrow we will have this equal balance but is to say, are we making progress? And look at ourselves as leaders and mm -hmm. say, you know, uh, how do we measure ourselves in the spaces where we operate mm -hmm. and also on the collective impact that we make, for instance, from the Minerals Council point of view, because we are part of the Minerals Council. So we've got, we must have this, uh, you know, uh, pulling together of impact at that level but we must also make a difference from where we are. We're making progress, not where we should be. 16% of women um, in this industry is far from where we should be. But as I say, it's, we're coming from 12% five years sure. ago. So it, it's, it's got to be at every level. We must see that happening. Mm -hmm. Lower levels, we're seeing a groundswell. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I know of... Uh, um, um, you know, mine overseers, yeah. women, I know miners, and what we tell them is what for me is important, is what we tell them when I see them, is to say, guys, do the do time, don't rush, because that's what men also did. They never just stayed for three months and they were promoted. No. Do time, demonstrate leadership, demonstrate impact, demonstrate death, because you are not going to be at a leadership position if we don't have all of those things. Sure. Wow. Um, what stands out for me here is the responsibility that you are taking upon yourselves as women, not just to want a seat at the table, but to have impact. Absolutely commendable, Doug. Um, I think I should have asked this question before we got into the woman one. How have you navigated your way from the lab to being a DDG at the Department of Environmental Affairs and Tourism 
and now mining. What bolstered such a brave detour? You know, the one thing I knew would speak for me before I opened my mouth mm. was the PhD that I've earned Absolutely. in the United States. Mm. Almost as if you are saying, I know how inequal, unequal South Africa is, mm. that you really have to push yourself to a point where people can say, okay, before we even give an opportunity to open a mouth, yeah. she is Dr. Nombasatsen. So for me, that was what I carried, and people could not understand, because I'm such a small, I, well, now maybe not as small as I used, <laughs> such a small frame individual yeah. that now all of a sudden, I mean, I don't look my age, now you're a doctor, people mm. now would listen, right? Mm. So I probably carried, um, you know, this qualification of mine, mm. plus this, you know, very strong determination as an individual um, that gave me that can-do attitude. Mm. Um, and to say, if I could achieve a PhD, which takes all the things that my father taught me uh, of how you focus, self-discipline, uh, staying true to your cause, then I could teach myself anything where I believe there is an opportunity. So I think for me, those were the things that drove me from one experience to the next. Because when I realized uh, that I had landed at the University of Pretoria as my very first formal job as a junior lecturer, and I looked around and I thought, thank God I got this opportunity from uh, Professor Johan van Zeeuw, was a wonderful individual who is a champion of transformation. But obviously, not many Johans were there. So you could really see yourself struggling mm. to get to from junior lecturer to senior lecturer. So being grateful sitting there, but realizing that, you know what, I'm probably not going to realize my dreams here. There's probably another place mm. where I'll make a greater impact and learn than to sit here and not, you know, be uh, open to the opportunities that I would have really wanted to experience. I also realized that the lab, you may have read this, uh, if you know the story of my mom and the patch, you know, the garden patch that, you know, I realized when I left University of Pretoria that it's easy to blame people. But at the same time, I was never a behind the scenes person. I liked working with people, okay. with a lot of people. And uh, I needed to interact uh, with a lot of people. So I was attracted to a, a program which government in the Department of Science and Technology at the time uh, had a foresight project where we had to look into the future and say, which technologies will really be key to South Africa? at that time, looking 2020, which the country had to invest in uh, from skills and from other capabilities point of view. Yeah. Um, so when I saw that, then that's what really stole me from the lab. And then from there, I grew, I learned a lot, I wanted more uh, opportunities. I became a second in charge in the mm -hmm. Department of Environmental Affairs and Tourism, 
which is very senior for a 34 year old. Sure. Um, you know, and there I was um, becoming a second in charge so young in my life. Mm -hmm. And then it was really another wonderful experience, which just mm -hmm. said to me, you know what, you can lead. You are leading so many people today, then anything, you know, is possible. Mm -hmm. So that those were for me the drivers that really took me off the lab mm -hmm. to being now an employee at Exaro Resources. Mm -hmm. It's such a commendable um, step that you, you have taken to pivot from the en environmental sciences world into mining. Um, at the time, you already had your PhD, and a lot of people are normally very afraid to move from those positions. I mean, you're, you were in a senior position at the department, and now you're getting into mining a lot of people cannot lose that status. It's yeah. very difficult for people to, you know, move from that to that because they want to chase yeah. better and they want to grow. Yes. What do you tell somebody that feels fierce about the, the transition that they need to make, but at the same time, they are scared of the jump, but they yeah. know they need to pursue yeah. it? Yeah. So, indeed, because... People tend to want comfort. Mm. So you are a DDG, you want to be a DG. I don't mm. know what you become after that because you can't be a minister. <laughs> you can go and do other things. Mm. But it would have been logical for me to stay and uh, take chances to being a director general. So what I would tell a person is what really is your, what drives you? Mm. Why do you want to make this jump? For instance, is it because you are unhappy where you are, you're seeing other opportunities elsewhere, etc., etc.? For, for me, uh, it was interesting uh, that when I joined the Department uh, of Environmental Affairs and Tourism, I knew that when you sit at the senior most levels in government, mm. working with politicians, and a great politician at the time, which was Vali Musa. Mm. There was no way that Vali Musa would become a minister of environmental affairs and tourism forever. He sure. was going to move on. Mm. Then what becomes of you? And I had to always plot ahead. That was why. Okay. I was not sure exactly where that would have been, but I knew that I needed to stay three good years in government and then I must really look for something a little bit more sustainable. I was a little bit worried that this was not going to be not because we would probably move to another department. But another thing for me was that we had done a great job with my uh, team and uh, my boss at the time, uh, Chippy Olver, where we found these very antiquated pieces of legislation and we realized that the department did not have teeth to enforce any higher standards, environmental standards, improve environmental stewardship in the country. So we went into a process of changing these pieces of legislation, uh, air quality uh, management, I remember, NIMA, and uh, waste, I mean, a whole suite yeah. of environmental laws. Now, what it meant to me when I, I looked at the mining industry, which I really despised at the time and said, this is such an, a destructive industry. Mm. Um, and now that we've got this legislation, I think I can go there 
and make a difference by implementing these laws and making sure that we use at least one case study, which would have been Kumba Resources, now Exar, one case study from the mining industry that could demonstrate success mm. in being a responsible mm. uh, environmental steward or citizen where we are a responsible citizen that is known um, to look after the environment contrary to the perception of what a mining industry is. That's what drove me, to be honest with you. I was not going for uh, to be a, a GM or a CEO. I just wanted to make sure that I take the law that we've developed, go and prove that it does work, and then, you know, come up with a good um, an outcome that can, you know, that Exaro can be proud of. I, I agree with you there, Doc, and I think you are the most appropriate person to actually come into mining from an, an environmentalist stance because then you come with an attitude of solving a problem. Absolutely. Mm, mm. So at some point in your mining career, you've had to move a knot down from being on Exco to now being on an operational level. And mm. that reveals an attitude of humility and an eagerness to learn. What tricks or strategies came in handy when you had to deal with the men at operational level? Well, look, uh, thank you, a very interesting one, that one. Uh, and it came at a really tough time where I had to reflect on my own leadership and the impact I was making, um, you know, before I went into ops. And I realized there were a lot of things I was lacking in, in terms of my leadership impact, working through people. And sometimes when you are so comfortable with the subject and you have just emerged from that technical level, managerial level into leadership where you lead big teams, you are still driven by the fact that, you know what, I know environmental science, I understand this work and I can do so many things myself. And you don't understand why other people are not performing at that level. But when I stepped out of that role, going into the ops, I realized that actually I knew nothing about mining. Mm. Zero. Mm. And I was so scared because I was never in a situation where I was uncomfortable with the subject because mm -mm. that was my edge. You know, my my dad said, show how your depth is. You succeed. Look it it's on. about you. And it's about you being in the top three all the time. Yeah. This mm. time I was never going to be in any top anything. Mm. Uh, so I am going to be leading this group of men who are so bright. Engineers are very bright. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes, they've got their particular way of thinking, very rigid sometimes. We call them left-brainers, they all have light structure yeah, and all yeah. of it. And I said, here I am joining these people. What can? What is my offering to these people? So that I can earn the respect as their leader. The only thing that I thought I needed to do first was to respect them for their knowledge and the time they've spent in this sector, which I haven't one mm. and acknowledge them for that mm. and secondly uh share with them that i'm here to partner with you guys i'm not here to do your job i could never do it mm. but i'm here to lead you to the extent that i'm able to lead you but my leadership 
would be as good as you guys are willing to partner with me. So we have to have a pact with them to sell. Um, I'm here going to learn from you guys. You will tell me what you guys are doing. And my, I'll learn as quickly as you guys are able to teach me so that I can represent you well. Because you're not in the boardroom with me. Yeah. I've got to represent you there. So the, the, the better you guys do this, or this job of teaching me, the better I'll be your leader. And I will hold you accountable to the things that you teach me to the standards that you demonstrate that are the best standards to mine are the same standards I'll hold you accountable. So I had that relationship uh, with my male colleagues. They didn't feel threatened. Um, the fact that they were there before me is a fact. They were at a vintage point where they were there before most women are. Therefore, they, they bring something to the table Absolutely. and you just have to realize what that is and mm -hmm. use, use it. And I used it to my advantage. I, I spent a lot of time, time in operations. Whenever they complain that, you know, we are having this um, problem with the conveyor belt underground and one of the, you know, super drives is doing something. And I said, take me there. Let's go mm. and look at it. Mm. You know it better. Go and show me what this thing you're talking about. Mm. And the more they realize my style, after they realize that, you know what, when we take her there, that's where she asks the most difficult questions. questions yeah. Because I'm the person who teaches myself. I I, 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 I learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, overnight, I would pick up books because I never wanted to drop them. They teach yeah. me something. I'll go and look at what is wall mining. What are those uh, key equipment that you use in wall mining? What are the critical ones? And all of it. So that when they speak to me, they see a person who is walking with them and willing to learn so great respect for them acknowledge them don't compete with them give them their space hold them accountable they actually like that and i think that if you wanted to know uh if someone wakes me up even at 2 a.m that has been for me the highlight of my career they are, is to step out to ops and not knowing what mining engineering is and working with people who actually take you through that because you had to humble yourself because you didn't know and through respect and partnership you know i am here today because of those individuals wow that's amazing it seems as though every answer that you give is just empowering and touching <laughs> well doc it's just amazing that you, you've touched on quite a, a number of issues there, quite a number of factors there to say that as women especially, we tend to be quick in pointing, you know, fingers and saying, um, there's no, not enough women in the mining sector or we are being bullied or, you know, we are being overlooked and that, but we are very slow in sitting down and reflecting to say, how can we contribute towards this? What impact or what value can we bring to the table? And it's it's amazing that you say that, no, a moment of reflection is actually needed. So self-reflection. Absolutely. Mm. You know, you know, Shengiwe, that is another very powerful thing that if everything that you and I talked about today were to be deleted, mm. this one, I would say women need to understand that no matter whether diamond is covered with mud or with 
dirt. Yeah. It shines because mm. it is a diamond. Mm. So don't worry about all of these externalities that are brought yeah. by the environment where you are. And my reflection had been, I go home and I feel that I said something and I was ignored in the boardroom. Yeah. And my colleague in the same room says the same thing and is heard. Yeah. Same thing. And I was yeah. saying, but no. Yeah. I was saying exactly <laughs> the same. This yeah. guy, I mean, he's sitting at the edge and he was he talked towards the end of the meeting. Everybody's like, I'm liking this mm. thing. Mm. You know what I did when I go home? Mm. I never said, Yeah, this man ignored what I said. I said, yeah. how did he say it? That was so different from how mm. I said it. Mm. And then I realized actually that um uh, I had to change myself okay. in terms of understanding that there is a language that, that engineers hear. Okay. And I'm going to test whether it is the language or is it me now that mm. they don't like. Now mm. I'm going to try mm. and learn to speak in a certain way. Then I realized that when I brought depth in the things I said yeah. and being practical, and not speak too much from the right brain. You bring okay. the right brain, the left brain okay. together. Okay. And because the right brain is a strength. Mm. But we are frustrating a mining engineer if you're not giving them the measures okay. and the square that they are looking for okay. in some of the things that you say. There must be a certain way you deliver your messages. Then I can say now, once I practice and I've done this and they still don't want to listen, then I would say, no man, these guys, Mm. Are being a, a sexist mm. in any way. Mm. So, so I I learned to bring depth, more depth. Uh, I learned to be patient. I learned to manage my voice mm. so that my voice is not a fighting voice. It's a leadership voice. Um, engage them. And if I realize that I'm not heard, when I come back, I have a certain way that's now coming in with my mindfulness, which I practice along the way, mm. where I said, but what I'm hearing you guys say, but you may not be hearing what I'm saying. And I hear so-and-so saying this, but I'm bringing this perspective mm. and this or whatever it is. So uh, I became very mindful of what, how I show up. And now again, what I say, people need to hear this is this if you notice what works in the boardroom and what men do i'm not saying become a man yeah. understand why they like to talk to each other yeah. understand that yeah. and try and make sure that you are able to speak to that too because they are going to be part of your they're part of your colleagues they're employees. they're going to be employees maybe one day yeah. so that people cannot ignore you once you are on top of your of, of this subject, you deliver messages in a way that people understand within the culture of that environment, within the speak and the discipline of that environment. People will never ignore you. Mm. I promise you. The day I started talking the mining language, being measured, being respectful, talking to people, showing up better. Mm. People never ignored me. They were the ones who started voting for me as this woman who sits there alone 
And they would tell people before I go anyway, said, you must listen to our boss. Mm, mm, Start selling you. Mm, uh, when mm. the next positions came, they said, we don't see any other person, but numbers must lead us. Mm, in. You mm, see what I'm saying? Mm, people will vote for you, but observe what works. Oh, that's just so powerful to, to have the art of adopting to the environment. I mean, no matter how smart you are or no matter how well-versed you are, if you cannot communicate in a language that they understand, the message will never really land. And so it's commendable to try and go back and come up with another strategy that, that, that you can use. And the so last that, thing I want to just quickly say, because I also believe it's important, and I tell my kids this, uh, about being in the moment with what mm. you do. For you to see all of these things we're talking about, yeah. all your senses, five senses must be here with you all the time. Mm. You can't be in a conversation and you want to be impactful in that conversation mm. when you're busy thinking about, are they looking at, can mm. they, when I speak, do they think that they hear a CEO mm. with me? What are, what's going to happen tomorrow with me? What happened yesterday? Be present, be present. Be fully mm. present. At every moment, let me tell you, the five years I stepped out of the expo, I almost demoted myself to go into operations. I wasn't the executive. I went and asked to be taken out so that I can go and start yeah. as a general manager of operations. And uh, the, I never thought I was ever going to come back to the executive because I was enjoying myself in operations, I was fully in operations. And guess how long it took for me to go back? Five years. And I don't know why it was, I was very irritated that I was not being dragged back to this executive because I was never focused on what is the next step. Yeah. I was focused on this minute. The now. And the success being mm -hmm. made now is not what I'm doing in the next minute or the one before. That time is gone. The one that's to come is still to come. But now I'm handling, I'm talking to Flengiwe mm -hmm. and I must do this to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This ties into um, leadership style. So now let's talk about leadership. Exaro held a ceremonious farewell for the former CEO of Olisim Gocha. And in his farewell speech, um, the, this is what he said about you. And I quote, I have full confidence and faith that this great company will continue to grow and prosper under your leadership, unquote. What leadership qualities has Ubabum Gojob imparted in you that you will carry forth in the organization? You know, MX, as we called him, is one of you know, the greatest leaders I've worked with. I mean, he's such a visionary. I mean, he sees the future. I mean, in, in, in 20 in years, 20, like one year in his life is 20 years. Yeah. Uh, he can see the future and, uh, and his ability, you know, to engage the workforce and show them that future, um, I think is an incredible skill. And uh, something that I will always aspire to be at the same uh, standards and levels as as he is, uh, 
And I always say to visionaries, whether they've retired or not, remain visionaries. Always. So yeah. always, you know, uh, uh, that visionary uh, capability, which in my own way, you know, I try to emulate, you know, to the extent that I can. The other thing that I think policy helped me with, uh, I always followed most his positions. Yeah? I mean, he was the executive head of coal. I took that position. He became CEO. I took that position. And I watched him as the GM at the time of some of the minerals in the organization. Yeah. And saying to myself, here is a guy who's a, 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 a training is in IT, mm. doing such a fantastic job. Uh, at the top of, uh, or let me say, leading uh, mining engineers, yeah. uh, you know, uh, doing very well. And that thing that said to me, actually, he shows me that it can be done by non-engineers. You know, yeah. you can actually succeed in this position. He really showed it to me. And we would talk about it all the time. And he talked about it in the organization. Mm-hmm. And for me, giving people a chance, mm-hmm. you don't have to be in that um position, but Mm. you just need to find the talent in the individual, the Mm. potential in the individual, and give them an opportunity. So those are the two greatest uh, learnings that I think I received uh, from policy. And also forgiveness. He's a very forgiving individual. Yeah, I I think for me, I may never reach those levels because that probably comes so close to your character, Mm. but it's consciousness that he's given me as an individual. Wow, that's that's certainly amazing. So who do you draw inspiration from and how important do you think mentorship is? Yeah, it is very, very important. Um, And you will be so surprised that the people that I'll mention to you who really played an important role in my life, excluding my late dad, because I've already mentioned how much he really uh, was that wind beneath my my wings, where two individuals are found at Kumba. The CEO at the time was a Con Foconia, um, uh, one of the greatest leaders I've ever been exposed to. A man that I model myself around. When I take decisions, I would say, what would Con Foconia do or say in a situation like this. So just this guy who just epitomized the top of what I call absolute leadership in my mind, a man that I do not even remember making a mistake in any way. So that was the guy. And alongside him was a man called Mike Kilbride, who was my boss at the time, who as well uh, was... uh, you know, that good feeling around the boss. Yeah. You feel like, yeah. you know, is this a boss for real? Quite right. <laughs> is this guy really allowing me to do these things mm. that he's wanting me? He's allowing me to think freely. Mm. And also very wise men, mm. uh, very meticulous in operations. And I took a lot from him, uh, just listening to him, uh, looking how he solved problems. Mm. And very practical person. And, uh, and and pushing me, you know, this gentleman, when I arrived at Exar, remember he brought me there and people did not, as I said, those early days, I was just a face and a number. Yeah. Okay. So people who still have meetings there without me, 
there will be a meeting and I won't be called. And he will look around and say, where is Nombasa? Okay. And then he says, can you just stop? Whoever organized the meeting, they need to know that she has to be present mm. every time we have this meeting. And he would say it to all the meetings. So that guy made sure that my voice was heard. That voice supported me. That guy was the guy who kept on saying, she is one hell of a successful leader, etc. So those two men with my dad, I would say they were my mentors, my my guides, my everything you can think of. Now, if you ask from a lady's side, I want to mention a lady called Daphne Mashilengosi. Sis Daphne is well known in this industry. She is the uh, founder and director of Kalahadi Manganese uh, Mining, well-known individual, feisty, who's fought a lot of battles uh, from all these things we're talking about, you know, that we receive as, we, as women in this industry. You know, this lady for me, having known her for a very short time, she's one woman who has wiped tears from my face. She hasn't, she could not, she said, there's nothing I'm going to teach you. She supports me. She supports me up to today. She tells me positive things about what this job or the role I need to play. And she actually knows when I am in pain, when I'm in tears, she's the first person to wipe my tears okay. uh, um, and other women who sit in my board i don't want to talk about them because people will say because they're bosses <laughs> there have been women in that board okay. and a very special woman that has really supported me through and through okay. um, and i must say to you uh, it doesn't have to be one person who mentors you who supports you okay. uh, you need it from wherever you can get and there is value in every drop of mentorship and support that you can get. People who don't judge you, uh, people who understand why you are in the position you're in mm. and really reinforce your base so that you stand strong. That's all I could say for and now. Done. So it really does take a community. Dr. Nombasa, let's come to the final section uh, or segment of, of, of our interview and that's the South African energy landscape. What do you think is the antidote for the energy crisis in our country? Yeah, I must say first that I'm very excited that uh, our challenges, uh, you know, from our, or let me say our energy challenges have become so topical uh, such that people are talking about it. Mm. We today have an interview where Nombasa and Shengiwe are talking about the energy landscape. Yeah. We have really moved. Uh, and because many countries have been there before us. Yeah. So firstly, the awareness and uh, making it understandable because load shedding is how many people are experiencing uh, the challenges we have. They take notice, they listen to what people are saying. South African problems have got to be solved by us, South Africans. Yes, Absolutely. we need to partner with those who've got the means to solve the problems. But we are beginning to define our problem. We have a president and a government that is beginning to see that 
for us to be successful in solving the energy problems, which have got, I mean, the, the challenges from 2008, I believe we should have taken specific actions to really expand our energy capacity, which we sure. didn't do. So now we've got a government that recognizes that, look, when you solve the problem, you've got to make sure that your bandwidth from your solutions point of view is so broadened that it's not a government only solution. It takes you, it takes private companies like Xaro, which is fortunate to be a generator of green energy because we do have that aspect in our business. In fact, yeah. we've got a business lag in energy. So you as a business, you can be an independent power producer. You as Lengue, mm. you are also allowed to contribute what your excess electrons, which you can actually feed into the grid. So to liberalize this sector for me is going to really assist us in solving our problems. And also looking beyond just one set of solutions, we got to look at what other energy sources mm. are going to be critical mm. in solving South Africa's problems. Mm. And the last thing I'm going to add here is we've got to be very smart in the way we use the resources we have today. They may be fossil fuels, but that is what we have today in abundance. And shifting from uh, uh, a coal-based energy into renewable energies and other sources of energy has got to be planned so smartly that you do not make the mistake that Europe made um, in the 80s when they were transitioning um, and leave gaps. So we need to be very, very clear of our energy transition and how we utilize our resources in a balanced way. So Europe has to be a case study in this sense to say, how did they do it and how can we do it better so that we, we avoid certain traps? Yeah, we need to prepare ourselves mm. for a no coal future huh. and do it in a way that does not only listen to uh, the pressure of we must be renewable energy based tomorrow, but which says we need to look at our capabilities from a liberalization of the sector first. Mm. Our policies are not all in place to support us to all of a sudden wake up and be generating energy from our electricity from renewable energy. We need to recognize that. We need to deal with that backlog. That is government's job. But then we need to also enable Nombasa, enable Exar, mm. enable um, other companies mm. to then contribute significantly, you know, the energy sector mm. and the businesses into the solutions of this country, which Exar will be at the center of making sure that we are part of solving problems that this country is facing partnering with ESCOM, not just to give it coal, but to also give it the green energy that it needs to add onto the grid. So for me, it's for all of us to be a part of a solution, bringing our resources to the table, partner with government, look for those partners offshore that may have got 
um, new innovations, uh, new technologies uh, that we can use to take out emissions that are difficult to abate whilst we still mine coal, to make sure that we are decarbonizing at speed, making sure that we meet our targets, our global targets, and this whole notion of being carbon neutral in 2050 mm. will then be a reality for the country as a whole, mm. not just for companies. Well done, Dr. Nombasa, on, on the work you've done at Exaro on showing your environmental stewardship as well as we're going into this decarbonization and, and carbon neutral world. Now, the war between Ukraine and Russia tempers with Europe's carbon-free plans. And yes. as an environmentalist and mining executive, do you think that the near green future is still on the cards? It isn't on the cards. Um, and we're going to see it when we go to COP27, I think, mm. the next one in Egypt. I hope I'm right if it's 27. Mm. But uh, being that as it may, um, countries have made commitments. Mm. And it became very clear around 2015 that uh, if we don't make any drastic changes in the commitments uh, to take out these emissions, the dream of a 1.5 degree scenario will mm. never be realized. In fact, we may have lost that opportunity. So that call was, I think it was uh, the the Paris uh, yeah. uh, COP uh, at that time, which really asked for a step change. So there is that commitment, right? I mean, look, I know Europe had been one of those countries when I used to be the lead negotiator for South Africa on climate change during my years in the environment department. Mm. European countries were the first ones to make really strong commitments, commitments. Mm. and uh, develop the renewable energy technologies. So Europe is committed. However, now what you see is a short-term reaction Okay, where okay. there are reliable sources of, um, for instance, gas being an example, which had been fed from Russia, which was a very uh, important element of okay. their energy mix, all of a sudden, you know, uh, being curtailed, mm -hmm. now forcing them to respond the way they have. So we may not see a very uh, steep straight line yeah. uh, in the next two years for as long as this Ukraine-Russia standoff continues, it may probably be a slight delay um, to getting to uh, the targets that uh, we are hoping for. But that drive, I still feel that is there. There is that commitment. Unless we walk away then from uh, what we would have signed, uh, the pact we have under the uh, United Nations framework on climate change, which I do not believe we will get there. But I've obviously, you know, now investments may be delayed a little bit uh, because now people are dealing, especially these countries, uh, European countries, dealing with this immediate challenge of uh, trying to stabilize their economies and at least uh, looking at alternative uh, solutions to that gas, uh, that uh, Russian supplies. 
Doc, that's a very interesting stance, and I like that um, you're quite optimistic about the future of of mining, especially and 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 renewable energy. Now, the story of your coming up certainly was not an overnight one, as you have just alluded, and I can imagine that um, the many gruesome steps that had to be taken, the frantic decisions that have to, had to be made, and the sharpening of of a character. Now, to a young woman that has just joined the workforce, what is your message about trusting the process? Yeah, you know, it's a it's a lovely thing because I tell my young daughter, whom I've raised uh, uh, all the time, uh, that again, bring your full self to the workplace. But you better have made a decision on what your goals are. You know, talking to a young person and say, your goals and all of that. I remember myself when I was much younger, I was like, what are they talking about goals? Uh, It becomes very difficult. But when you are in the work environment, bring your full self. Because at that moment, you will notice and hear what is good for you. And when you pick up what is good for you, you get naturally attracted to those things that you're good at. Um, And tell yourself that you will not be depending on this external influence of how well we're doing, but you're going to have this solid internal that tells you that I'm on the right course and I am going to do time. And if I'm in the moment with my time and what I'm doing, the next year becomes so quickly Mm. or so quick to get to and the next one, the next dot to the next dot, before you know you are reaching your goals. So for me, is that stay focused, be authentic. Um, Don't be hard on yourself. Remain rooted in your goals and really observe what makes people successful in the environment of your choice? And finally, Dr. Nombasa, what message are you hoping to spread as Exara's new CEO, one that you want to be remembered for? You know, the uh, something that I've found to be cancer as I was uh, growing up and something I was deprived of and what people struggle with is what I call candor, mm. honesty, and respect. And then uh, keeping only one objective mm. above all, which is doing what is right for exam. That for me, those are going to be the weapons that will make a difference in this organization because people, when people are honest and they share honestly, they also receive honestly. When they respect others, that sharing is done with respect and you dream so much more when you are allowed to be honest and focusing on the bigger objective which is making sure we serve Exaro, we serve the shareholders of this company, whether small 
or big. They're equal in our eyes. That for me is going to be my message so that these people of this company can dream big. They can be themselves without any fear of being victimized in any way when they are dreaming big or when they seek to understand uh, because that's how people grow. That for me would be my message. Wow, that's certainly wonderful. Dr. Rambasa, I myself have um, taken some nuggets for myself, been very inspired by your journey, um, very inspired by a message that you just um, gave when we're talking about women. It really spoke to me personally on that if you are a diamond, as, as rough as it is, as rough as your environment is, just keep shining keep shining effortlessly, you know, that really just spoke to me and encouraged me to to keep going. And, and I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for joining us here on Deep Insights for Mining Review Africa. And we wish you the very best in your new position. Thank you, Slegiwe. And stay beautiful and everything. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We have come to the end of this wonderful session. I feel so honored to have brought to you Exaro's CEO, Dr. Nombasa Tsengwa. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to Deep Insights. For more mining news, visit miningreview.com. Until next time, goodbye.